You are listening to Drop Tent Media Network. Uh, my undocumented ass podcast. With Che Guerrero. The winds really change talk. in one direction. They got to harass someone else. I get it. I get exactly. it. Like, people don't realize how just one little access can literally change a whole family's life. Hey, welcome back to another episode of My Undocumented Ass Podcast. In this episode, I sit down with Flor. She's a DACA recipient, a college student, an activist, and just a Gen Zer who's really showing what the youth is doing with the undocumented movement. Check it out. You're really going to enjoy this. There's a lot of... Uh, you're, you're Gen Z, right? You'll be considered Gen Z? Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. White Gen Zers are getting like a lot of like, you know, cred for being like, whatever, boomers. But... Latinx Gen Z are should be given credit for being like whatever government like that is a much better attitude to have like like I was not as confident in my 20s about being on documents like I didn't tell anybody till maybe three years ago really and seeing you in your 20s just be so like vocal and on TikTok and being very funny about it it's just like damn this is a new age and and I'm for it I'm with it. So tell me a little bit about about your background, like where are you from, and and you know, like how did it how did it happen to you? Because we all have a how did it happen? Right. No. So I was born in Guatemala. Um, we don't need the exact birthday; just two thousand. But oh my god! Um, <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, I'm a 2000 baby. Oh exactly my god! Like eight months cause. before nine eleven. Like that was just like I was just so alive during that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh but um, what's it called? Yeah, I was born in Guatemala. Um, and I was the youngest child until I came here and I asked for a little one. <laughs> but you know what? It's fine. It's fine. Point is, um, I was brought to the U.S. Um, in 2005. So I entered the the school system like right away. Okay. Um, you know, having like, I don't know how many vaccines I got on each arm, but it was definitely a lot. I was you remember that too? <laughs> That's the first thing I remember about getting to America was like within my first week having to go to all these like and there weren't even hospitals. They're just these uh, like institutional buildings, like yeah. like high schools and stuff like that, where I had to go and make sure the government didn't call me a dirty kid. Like, yeah, I to get my hair. Yeah, no, life. exactly. I know I had to do like many tests to see if I was intelligent enough to enter a certain grade. I was supposed to be in pre-K, but then they put me in kindergarten. So I was like, all right, bet. Say less. But when I started school, um, I remember distinctly sometimes like I would not understand what everyone would be saying. I would just do me. If yeah. I'm be honest, I was like, okay, I'll go to the right. They're like, no, no, come like come, come to the come to the right or left. Um, you were like, really? just wandering around the building and people were like, fuck, fuck, yeah, fuck, fuck, no. fuck, fuck. It's okay, you know. Ever since I was a little girl, I was making my own way, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, so I entered the school system right away. Um, my oldest brother also came with me. He arrived like two weeks after me. Okay. How old um, is he? he is 29. He's 29. Oh, okay. So, oh, right. So when he came here, he was already, if you were, what, you were like five, he was already like in elementary school beyond like. Yeah, he was in middle school. Um, he was already 13. So he had to repeat seventh grade. Okay. Um, yeah, but everything worked out. Thankfully, I think. Something that many people don't really talk about is the fact that, like, when you're younger, you're able to, like, what's it called? Have a better memory of, yeah. of like, um, how do I explain this? Not a better memory of, like, ex explaining what has happened in Guatemala, but rather, for example, with me, it was really easy to, like, capture the English language. Yeah. And 
um, not have so much of an accent as like those who come at, at a later time. Yeah. Um, you know, like with my brother, I know he still every now and then has an accent, which is completely fine. Um, but it's interesting to see like how we both came in at the same time, but different ages as well. No, I, I feel that uh, actually it's almost the same exact thing with me and my sister. Um, my sister is five or is, my sister's going to be 39 this year. So, she yeah, she's about five years older than me. Uh, we came at the same exact time, but I came here when I was six and she was already like 11 going on 12. Mm -hmm. So this is actually like the one proud moment that I have, like, uh, of like my first coming here was like, um, they, uh, they asked my sister and I, they were like, do you want to go to ESL classes or do you want to go to all English classes? And my sister was already 12, you know, like coming from the Dominican Republic. She was like, uh, please give me ESL classes. I want to do that. And I was like, nah, give me all English classes. I'm here in America, baby. Like, give me all English classes and I'll figure it out. Oh, and boy. I was speaking English within three weeks. And my sister's going to be 39 and she's still, like, really struggling with the language. So it was funny that I became a little, like, experiment. So from then on, they never asked any kid coming here if they should take English or Spanish classes. They just automatically put them in English classes because they saw how well it worked with me that they didn't even give our family members an option anymore. Like, no, no, if he can do it, that means everybody can do it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Wow. So it, it really, like, those five years makes a world of difference of how you kind of view America, you know? No, for a fact, yeah. And I remember thinking America was all beautiful and sweet. And then middle school came along, and I was like, you know what, maybe that, that it ain't all it. No. <laughs> um, it, it does, but yeah, no. Middle school, you, you got it. I didn't, I didn't realize it until I was 21, so I'm a little late to the party. <laughs> no, you're good. I mean, I think, well, this goes along the lines of, like, how did I really find out, like, what it really meant to be undocumented? It was more like fifth grade for me. Um, I was new in a way. I couldn't go back to Guatemala, but I always kept asking my questions of, uh, or my parents, these questions of, so when are we going to see my grandmother again? Because she's still over there in Guatemala to this day. Um, and they just kept evading the questions. I was like, that's a little odd, but okay. Yeah. Um, but fifth grade came along and we were, I went to the school that taught both Spanish and English. So like, for example, I took like math class in Spanish. Sometimes science would be in Spanish. Um, social studies would be in English. No, obviously, yeah. I, I don't think any. Yeah. <laughs> but um, point is, uh, so they would do like a fifth grade exchange program with students from El Salvador. Okay. And so I was like, oh, a country next to my country. That's awesome. Maybe I can fly by, you know, maybe visit Guatemala too while I'm at it. <laughs> I I was very idealistic. Yeah. Or what is yeah. Yeah, <laughs> no, you didn't, I mean, you didn't know there was a lot of ideals. Yeah. Yeah, We're yeah. Young. Um, but what happened was my parents actually sat me down and they're like, money is not the issue. I know we're poor. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> it's beyond that. <laughs> yes, Hold exactly. on. Wait for the twist. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was like, mommy, puppy, like we can figure out like how much money it is. It's okay. And they're like, that's not it. No. Yeah. Um, if you go, you may never come back. And I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> Um, so while that was happening, I didn't realize it until like maybe my middle school years. So my brother was really struggling with um, going to college um, and he shared his stories with me more towards like when I was in eighth grade or seventh grade where he said, yeah, a lot of counselors or his counselor was like basically saying you can go to UVA. You have such an amazing grade point average. You are in, in all of these advanced classes past ESL, um, but can't you just become legal? 
And that's when my brother really started sharing his story uh, with not only with me, but also like other school members who should have known more about his story so that that way they could, I don't know, be better equipped with with more resources and, you know, be a, of a better support system to him. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's when in middle school, I really started looking for more academic programs that could get me started. And like, you know, if I wanted to go to college eventually, what can I do to get there for free? Yeah. Um, and yeah. I saw a lot of like scholarships and programs like being available only to high school students, especially like, you know, the usual thing is like juniors and seniors because they're getting closer to that age. But there was one in particular that, um, what is it? Thankfully in eighth grade, it came along. It was for the George Mason University Early Identification Program, which was a first generation student program. So it was to involve all the families and students together so that way they can learn more about the college process and receive um, academic tutoring while we're at it. So thankfully I got in and I don't know, the joke is like when I was applying to that program, mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm always complaining about like college applications. Even right now I'm looking into like things like grad school, even just job applications and I'm complaining about them only to realize that I really did a full on three supplemental essay application for that program. So like I really applied as if I was going to college yeah, yeah, just yeah. to get into that program. And I was like, why am I complaining now? Yeah. What, I, I already did this when I was in middle school. What, what's the difference now? What's the difference? Because it's just a um, lot more work. Like I'm hearing like, and, and it's it's also, oh God, this this thing is just so maddening with the immigration system. It's like you saw your brother having such a hard time and you kind of like you were lucky enough to see him maneuver and have people who wanted to help him and stuff. It, it just reminded me so much of like when I saw my sister trying to go to college and you know, unfortunately, like my aunt and uncle uh, who raised us were very not aware of the kind of things you could look after. You know, like, you, you know, there was no Internet like that. Uh, my mom didn't really care. My dad didn't care. if We went to college. So I saw my sister sort of like blase defeatist. Like I can't. I'm undocumented. There was not DACA back then. And when it came my turn, I just had the same exact mentality. You know, there, there was like counselors who were like, you know, oh, you're you're very smart, like, you know, why can't you get a scholarship and this and that? And I'm like, because I'm undocumented. I can't go. I didn't even know you could go for something. I just I just thought it meant the end of the road once 12th grade was over. And it was very it's very sad, like, to, to not be able to, because that's all my friends going to college and stuff like that. So that became very, like, heartbreaking for me. No, that's valid. I know with my brother, when he was graduating, DACA was not available to him either. No, because um, you're, uh, you're, you're a DACA recipient. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And the joke is every single time, for some reason, I always immigration officials should not be listening to this. (laughs) I'm already bugged, man. (laughs) (laughs) This whole place is bugged. (laughs) (laughs) But what's it called? There was I applied when Trump was entering office, literally, literally that that month after he entered office, because we were watching the elections. Um, So so the thing is, you have to be like 15 years and a half in order for you to apply for DACA. Right. Right. Um, At least that's one of the requirements with me. When I reached the stage, it was amazing that I reached it. But there was always like some financial problem that my parents needed to solve that I kept putting up my DACA um, application. So the other layer, the other level. Yeah, exactly. So there was like a lot of financial, financial economic instability, and there still is to this day. But um, so 
we saw like the the 2016 campaign like going on and everything like that and then once trump won we were like you know what let's wait it out a tiny bit to see what happens <laughs> they <laughs> said what's the oh my god oh my god trump won no yeah no you yeah. No, you you should have put the application in November twenty first, twenty ninth, twenty twenty. Oh shit. But then afterwards, what is it? I remember he entered office in twenty sixteen and then um in February we we're like, okay, we can't wait any longer. Let's just submit the application. And thankfully, like it went through. I got my biometrics done in, in the following month of March. Um, but then for some reason, my applica my application was still being reviewed until like September. Mind you, this whole thing should not take like more than like three months yeah. or something like that. Yeah. But it was taking like six, seven months. And then uh, immigration officials came back to me and said, we need more evidence that you were here. And I'm like, this whole package that I sent you <laughs> yeah. was not evidence enough of like, how, how many years was that? Um, I think it was 10 years by then, yeah, that I was completing of being in the US. And I had like sent in all copies of like kindergarten school work, second grade stuff, all this middle school things. Send them drawings um, of you and your family saying, We love America that you made in the second grade. Exactly, just for extra exactly. measure. Just, just a little bit. Um, oh my and God, your like, baby teeth? She had her baby teeth in there. She lost in America in that package. I really did. I gave them my whole, my whole progress from like my baby teeth to my braces. You know, it was hectic. Everything. But to the point is, is like, um, what's it called? Was it? No, hold on. He entered no, the elections which were in 2016. I'm he, doing so he would enter like January 2017. Yeah, 2017. Like, yeah, they, exactly. they enter like so, three months after they get elected. Exactly. Whatever. And my letter came a few days. I forgot if it was like before or after he rescinded the program. So I was like, what does this mean? Oh, <laughs> what does this shit. mean? Yeah. So I got lucky. I still made it to the cut because I sent in more evidence and I got approved in October of 2017. Yo. But it was just like the door is closed. You're Indiana Jones with that hat, man. Daka. Exactly. So needless to say, you know, I shouldn't be putting myself in those stressful situations. But, you know, sometimes life happens. You don't life you don't happens. blame yourself for this. This is you don't blame yourself. This is the immigration system and capitalism. I have a new hatred for capitalism that I want yeah. the world to know. Uh, no, I just completely like it's just it's just maddening. It's just maddening that this window was there for you. But then the other side of it is that society keeps us so poor that mm -hmm. we can't apply for this program. And then white people have the caucasity to be like, why aren't you doing more? Oh, my God. First of all, there was no program. And then when there is, it's too expensive for me to apply. Yeah. So cool. And I can't get a job because I don't have the paperwork. To get... They don't. Oh, my God. It is. And they wanted to increase it as well. There was conversation before from like. So they definitely increased it from like 465 to 495. Yeah. And then on top of that, they wanted to increase it to like $700 last time I checked. Um, but that was like two years ago where yeah. they were in that conversation. But they quickly struck it down um so but it just goes to show you like how 490 right now right yeah it's 495 yeah. yeah but it just goes to show you like how much capitalism is involved in ensuring that like they complete they they continue exploiting people yeah. to the point where like they have to survive paycheck to paycheck and can't afford all these other like quote-unquote benefits that we should be getting in the first place yeah uh, yeah and all these conversations about capitalism is it's so ingrained in everything that we do yeah um but yeah that's what happened with my daca application process thankfully 
it's still, you know, I'm still applying for DACA renewal. So we're still good to go with that. But even then, I think people also tend to forget that DACA can be taken away and at any point, to be honest. Yeah. Um, and it, it, it's just used as a divisive practice. Yeah. It, it's just that. It's yeah. just that. Um, and then on top of that, what's it called? I know with that talk, to your point of like, you know, there's so many different windows that are so close to closing um, in terms of like financial aspects. For example, even if you go to college and you get work study, right? Mm-hmm. Because you can't get federal aid. You mm-hmm. have to rely on like, you know, for the most part in most colleges, you have to rely on, on any financial aid that you may get for scholarships, from scholarships or grants, or even from, you know, the financial aid office itself. But like, let's say if you have to work, you know, at a minimum wage job, yeah. because that's the state level, right? Mm-hmm. Like Pennsylvania right now is 725 and our college just uh, like increased it to 825. But, you know, it, it goes to show that like, for example, undocumented students, documented students or international students, they have to work like three to five different jobs, mm-hmm. be full-time students, mm-hmm. and then still excel academically if they want to go to like grad school or, you know, if they want to get a job. And even then, that's a struggle in itself that many people don't talk about, that many colleges like are, obviously there are federal guidelines to this, but there are ways around this for, for example, us students who are not citizens to be able to get jobs mm-hmm. or else, for example, international students aren't threatened with their visa getting taken away if they don't find a job here within a certain amount of time or wow so wow work requirement even for students are kind of like they still have a work requirement yeah jesus christ capitalism oh it's fucking maddening it is just Mm -hmm. maddening and how much like work 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 and the first thing they give you at zaka is like a work permit it's like essentially like that's the first thing it's a work permit that you can kind of get educated if you want (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. but like let's say for example sometimes like I was applying to to this teaching program, yeah. Um, and thankfully I got an offer, but I wanted a specific city location. They're like, "Well, we're not accepting DACA recipients there yet." And I was like, "Why?" And they didn't tell me this until like I, I went through the interview process and got the offer. I'm like, "Why are you not giving me the city?" It was my first preference. Um, but the, we'll accept me. you, but we we can't put you in this city because exactly. that city doesn't accept DACA. That's so fucking. So like it's it's just it's a whole cycle of things. It's yeah. it's many cycles within a cycle um that you have to worry about even after you graduate. There's some jobs that you really can't apply for even if you're a DACA recipient. Like especially federal government jobs. I don't know why anyone would want to work in the government. Yeah. But <laughs> um overall it's just it, it goes you know what's you funny? I actually have, I haven't come across that a lot but um so I have a green card but it's about mm-hmm. to um expire in 2024 and that's where the government screw me over they they might not renew me because they found out something i did when i was young so and that's another thing too like every status has a different like mentality like people think like oh you're a green card holder that means you you can travel and you're fine and you're about to be a citizen like first of all they found something about me they're gonna take it away and i'm afraid of traveling because i might not be able to get back into the country so no i'm not mm-hmm. traveling um no yeah but it's it's just it's just uh damn i forgot what i was gonna say but it's just it's just man like the hierarchy of of like the statuses and just talking about like the fees real quick because i forgot what i was gonna say um so this is what's crazy this this, this is one little thing about the fees that people don't realize so uh i i you know i'm i'm dealing with a lot of trauma that happened in my childhood and one of the days that i'm the one of the ways that i'm healing is i changed my name like i no longer go by my legal name like i go by che guerrero because it's a name that I chose in Guerrero is actually my mother's last name. I wanted, I wanted to take my mother's last name. I no longer want to be associated with my father. 
So I went to like, you know, I, I called and I was like, hey, look, I want to change the name on my green card. Um, how much would it be? It's $1,400 to change the name on your green card. If you are a U.S. citizen and you decide you no longer want to be John White McSmith and you want it to be Thomas Anderson, it's $14. Do you understand how ridiculous that is? That I can't change my name that haunts me on my paperwork because it's it's more than me paying for a lawyer to become a citizen mm -hmm. just to change my name. But if I do if I do ever get to become a citizen, you get to put in the name you want, your new name for free. So maybe one day I could do it for free. But I have to pay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's 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 yeah. These fees, people have no idea what the hell they do to us, how much money they take out of us, how much they suck from us, and then they go like, "You don't pay taxes." I'm like, "Hey man, maybe I don't pay taxes. But I gave you twenty thousand dollars trying to get this goddamn status. Mm -hmm. How about if we call mm -hmm. it motherfucking even? Tell Trump to pay twenty thousand dollars for something." No, but in addition to that, you have to remember as well, like with immigration fees and immigration paperwork, it's not guaranteed. It guaranteed. is not guaranteed. Many people forget that. It's like applying to college. You can pay a $75 fee, like if you don't have to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you're basically paying to get rejected. Yeah. And then what happens next? What yeah. happens next? And so people don't realize that even if you pay for something, even if you do it the right way, it doesn't guarantee you that you'll be on the right path at the end of the day. Yeah. Cause yeah, people don't. Yeah, and it, it's also like you know, you know, you go to the, all these officials, and it's every single official is different. So you have to like get them to like you, and and there really is like I don't I don't know how to tell people this, and I think I think they should know because like you know, Haitian people have the worst kind of like treatment in the immigration system, mm -hmm. but there's also pretty privileges in the immigration system. And I hate to say it's like mm -hmm. I've gone to Im immigration offices where the woman behind the desk looked like she wants to kiss me. And she's like, "You're so cute. You're so funny. Oh my god." And I'm just like, "Thank God that this woman <laughs> is finding me like adorable or something that she wants to talk to me and help me out and not be so mean." Every time I deal with immigration officials like, "You're so funny. You're so sweet." But my stepdad who looks like straight up Mexican, looks like ET, no offense to the man, but, yo, he gets harassed and he's been deported three times. And I'm just like, oh, my God, this whole system is fucking maddening. It is maddening. Because well, yeah, like, you can spend your money. But if you go there and there's something and they look at you, this one official and, and you're somebody that they don't like your face. Nope. Denied. Yeah. yeah. I don't like your skull. And that reminds me, too. Like, what is it? This happens with the BIPOC community whenever you're talking to someone from like in, an administrative office in general, like whether if it's a job or something like that, you have to use your white voice, yeah. your white people voice, right? And be like, hello, good morning. My name is Floor. Like, I can't even say Floor. My name is Floor. Um, I'm calling to check about the availabilities or the opportunity. And so, like, it's just something that we have to code switch as well in general. And it's just sad. It's sad. I feel sad like we, I feel like we just, have to code switch a lot harder, though. Because yeah, we, no, we don't just have to code switch our voice. We have to code switch our entire existence for us not yeah. to be figured out. That's that's fucking heavy. How many? What was like? Because when I growing up, like I had to lie like about where I was born and stuff. Let me ask you: Did your parents like make you like lie about anything? Like, no, no, dile, dile esto, de madre esto. Uh, no, actually, they didn't. Really? Um, I think it, it got to the point because my brother was training me to be a little activist. <laughs> <laughs> that, like, because he got involved as soon as he graduated from high school, he got involved with a lot of activism work um, in Virginia because we we're in Northern Virginia. We're close to like the you know the nation's capital, Washington yeah, yeah. D.C. Yeah. So it was a lot more easier to get 
um, movement on the ground with a lot of national organizations and oh, local God. organizations. And so he was the one teaching me along the way. And so whenever like my parents would be afraid to say a little something, we'd be like, no, no, we're saying it. We're saying it. <laughs> um, and That's, because you guys that, were really pushing your parents to, to come out and, and be more vocal. In a way, in a way, but also we, I think we, Jose and I started understanding the fact that like we have a different privilege in terms of us being able to communicate in two languages as mm -hmm. well and being more um, at an advantage that we won't exactly have a job to lose or an education opportunity to lose. Mm -hmm. Whereas my parents, you know, they have jobs, they have responsibilities. Mm -hmm. And as much as we would want them to like, speak up against like, let's say, something happened at the workplace where yep. they got injured. For example, my dad would always come home with some injuries because he would have to work like delivery trucks for a certain company. Um, and I would be like, dad, why aren't you saying anything? He's like, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. Like, oh. And he doesn't even want to go to the hospital. And what is it? Somehow that man is still living. His <laughs> are fine. His sugar levels are fine. He eats everything. <laughs> like my parents say, enfermo que come no muere. like what is it his recent job right now like he showed me a picture of like him riding a bike yeah and he's in his his like mid 50s now yeah, yeah. and my like, dad i don't believe you you don't ride a bike it's been years since you rode a bike he's yeah. like no no no. i'll show you i'll show you i'll send you a picture and he did to all of us he sent a picture to all of us. <laughs> he's starting what does he do now he works as a valet in a parking lot okay. and um but i told him i'm just like so puppy how come like you can ride a bike, but you never taught me how to ride a bike. <laughs> <laughs> well, he did it to have to work, and you just... He, he, unless you're going to go to work, he, he, I think Latinx parents don't want to show you anything for leisure. They want to show you everything yeah. for work. So if you weren't going to yeah. work, why do you need to learn how to ride a bike? <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. But, um, oh yeah, that. so my dad would, would hide away from, or shy away from really um, asking for more of his rights yeah. or more of his compensation basically and it just again goes back to the talk about capitalism like and this whole psychological trauma and cycle that goes on especially with like um you know undocumented parents and unaccompanied minors who have to work in order for me for them to meet certain financial um needs right uh and if they lose that job they risk of not being able to find another one and yeah. especially in this pandemic right mm -hmm. um and so my dad has always been amazing at keeping his jobs one way or another um i don't know how that man does it but he's got some luck <laughs> he's yeah. got some luck yeah. uh but yeah it's just a cycle of things and they're like i don't want to lose this job if i speak out then i run the risk of not being able to provide for this family yeah. does your mom just, work too? you know that's yeah oh my mom yeah she used to but then the pandemic hit and she wasn't able to exactly find another job that would allow her to work during the day because the other thing that my parents have is like at least one parent should be in the household late at night that <laughs> yeah. way especially when you're having like teenage what is it teenage daughters yeah, yeah. or their sons you have to be home so that way you can be helping them and guiding them yeah everything like that um so somehow we came out okay i don't know how we worked out but <laughs> no, we it's, came it's, out okay physically but mentally i think we're just yeah that, that that's the thing about undoc undocumented community it's, it's the psychological trauma it's more than anything because you know it, it's constant fear and you, you just put so much into perspective with, with you know talking about like, the generational stuff because we we uh we have the luxury that we're called dreamers you know what i mean i, I almost forgot where that came from 
that was like from the dream act that I think Obama was supposed to pass, maybe Bush something. And it's like, yeah, I got to give these. I, I seriously forgot that we were called dreamers because of this one piece of legislation. And it was that time where they started to kind of differentiate between the good immigrant and the bad immigrant, mm-hmm. you know, and I, that really genuinely pissed me off because uh, I am considered one of the good immigrants because I'm in school. Mm-hmm. I don't have a criminal record. I'm all that. But then it got me really pissed off because my mom and my stepdad who sacrifice their freedom, you know, who do have the criminal records, who have the crossing the borders and they have that, you know, that's also like a criminal, a federal offense to cross without papers. Um, so all the risk that they took is now labeling them the bad immigrant. And I just found that to be like so heartbreaking. Like that's actually one of the reasons why like I almost don't want to get citizenship and, and finish this. It's like if my mom can't do it and my step can't, dad can't do it, like, I'm the kind of person I'm like, if, if, if we all can't go, then I'm not going. You know what I mean? Like, that's how I am. And it just it, it breaks my heart that that uh, that it's it's divided like that. Yeah, no. And you're perfectly right. And going back to like the point that you made about the hierarchies of like the different statuses. Um, I always I try my best to steer away from the word dreamers myself because I feel like I'm always excluding my parents. I feel like I'm always throwing them under the bus because like you said, they didn't go to school here. They didn't go to school here. But people forget that they are somewhat of the original dreamers, too, at times where they chose to come here first and then bring along their family. um, So that way they could have other opportunities that their home country couldn't afford. Right. To give them a beautiful Um, way of thinking about it. Yeah. And then on top of that, unaccompanied minors, um, ESL students, for example, sometimes, you know, they come here unaccompanied and people don't tend to think about the fact that they don't have families. They don't really have their parents here to financially support them. Many, many of them like either died in their home countries oh, or like shit. stayed back um, because of all the violence that's happening, especially like if you think about, for example, the Northern Triangle, right? Um, with Central America, with Guatemala, Honduras, and, and El Salvador. Many people don't tend to think about the fact that, for example, un- unaccompanied minors who don't speak the language already, they came in a very late age. On top of that, they're working in survival mode. Because let's say if uh, an aunt or uncle let them, you know, or what is it, welcome their doors to them or open the doors to them, they're forced to sleep on the couch at times mm-hmm. and pay for rent, right? Mm-hmm. Pay for rent for the bare minimum. And then work a 10-hour shift after school and not yeah. being able to complete their homework and then still be afraid to ask for help because everyone sees them as the bad student. Yeah. And on top of that, let's say they have an immigration case going on, right? I'm like... What, on a kid, by the way, all this on a kid that they yes, already have an immigration case and all that stuff. Exactly. They have to grow up from a younger age. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, not to mention the trauma that they face in their home country, the trauma that they face while crossing the border, and then the trauma that they still face to this day once they reach wherever it is that they need to reach. People don't talk about those intersections of like different types of trauma that like a lot of people are dealing with. And they're just so centralized and focused. And I think this is also part of the stigma that we have as undocumented immigrants as undocumented youth as well, a lot of people are like, well, you know, I still want my rights, but they don't take, they don't tend to think about how, you know, this would affect their appearance or other classmates yeah. of theirs, right? They're, I've seen a lot of activism and it breaks my heart. They're like, it, I, I came here, but it wasn't my choice. And I'm like, okay. So, <laughs> I was like, like that at first, you know what? I was, I was very throwing my, my, my parents under the bus and I felt terrible because I did a couple of TikToks like, don't judge me for my parents' action. I'm just like, you piece of shit. Like, you're doing much better because of your parents' decisions. Like, you know, because things didn't work out, I shouldn't. <laughs> my mom, <clears throat> excuse me. My mom was trying to escape, you know, 
my father's abuse, you know, in a country where women, she would call the police and the cops would, you know, come and treat her worse for for disturbing them. You know what I mean? Like it's it's it was it was heartbreaking. And and she did her part. And, and that is like that's something that I want people to understand. I've said this before, like the most the meanest thing that the U.S. government does to kids is that it treats them with a sense of like love almost. You know, they put you in school, you have health care, everybody's calling you dreamer and stuff like that. But man, as soon as you turn 18, the government looks at you in the eyes and goes, ksh, ksh, run. You know what I mean? You're like, you just told me you love me. It's like, you got 10 seconds, buddy. Go. <laughs> you know, it's it's messed up to think that this country loves you and then to, to flip like that on you. And then you're, you're, yeah, it's Stockholm syndrome where you're like, you know, you love me, right? You love me. I love you. Why are you being so mean to me? Like the fact that the second we didn't step into this country, they were like, well, you're kids here. You're U.S. citizens now. You know, no, they wouldn't do that to us. They put us in this thing, in this incubator for like fucking 10, 12 years. And then they go, okay, now you're undocumented. Here you go. And everything that it means now, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's so psychologically yeah, traumatizing. Yeah. No, I know Jose and I talk about this as well, but like, for example, if there were a difference between, you know, us and him, he was 18 when he graduated from high school and DACA had not been authorized yet or like put into action. Right. And so he accumulated that time of being undocumented, right? Quote unquote, of being a criminal. Meanwhile, with me, because I got DACA before I turned 18, um, what's it called? They didn't see me as a criminal. The government didn't see me as a criminal because I was still underage. So right. I didn't accumulate that time. And that time affects any type of immigration paperwork that you do, um, you know, and, and people don't talk about that. And so I'm just like, even if he can't, even if you were to try and do it the right way, there would still be other complications that people don't talk about. Yeah. And so it's just. Yeah, I just, yeah, you know, damn, that's another thing. Yeah. With DACA coming around. Uh, a lot of youth were able to go from that age to 18 and apply and move on without being, you know, without having no status, illegal. Hey, he's not worried about doing that. Yeah, with, with DACA not being around, when I turned 18, I had those five or six years where I had to I get myself in a lot of legal trouble just to survive. And, yeah, it could have been like, yeah, that's why I'm a bad immigrant now because I got in trouble and they found out now. But, but yeah, it was those years that, that there was no in between where I had no choice but to but to fake papers and use things like that. So, mm -hmm. wow. And then DACA right now, I'm, I'm still very confused. It's, so old uh, people who have been in already can still apply, but they're not taking in new mm -hmm. applications currently. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, Biden's such a fucking ineffective president for immigrants. <laughs> for immigrants. No, we've been knowing that. We've been knowing that. It's just... That's the thing. People don't talk about this. They're like, Obama's such a great president. And I'm like, who started drone... Who continued the drone warfare, mm -hmm. first of all? Secondly... He supported more undocumented immigrants than any other president. The and Biden, chief. I think, is going to follow in second. <laughs> but, yeah. But, like, it's, like, there's no such thing as, like, you know, a good politician because everything is just so rigged. Everything is meant to work um, the way that it's supposed to work, which is against BIPOC communities. And many BIPOC communities are low income. They're, like, you know, first-generation students or they're undocumented um, and all these other um you know, what's it called? All these other experiences that the government doesn't take into account, or it does. But like, for example, whenever someone says the government doesn't know what it's doing, I'm like, I'm pretty sure it does. It does. I'm pretty sure it does. Yeah, like, it look does. at the electoral college. It was made just so that, you know, simple common folk would not be able to run for presidency or anything like that. Mm -hmm. You know, it, no one talks about all these systems that were already put in place by these white 
founding men. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm calling um, father. This ain't my father. Hey, my father, <laughs> founding father. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like, and people don't realize that that like what is it? The U.S. It was founded on genocide. The U.S. was founded on genocide. It wasn't a a, a revolution. It was genocide, yeah. and you know the expectation of um and and commodification of black bodies people don't talk about that they just think of like slavery bad um genocide against you know the uh indigenous people bad but you know the revolution is good yeah i'm like it doesn't work that way yeah. it doesn't yeah you work can't have way. yeah yeah you can't yeah stand on the bones of of these people and be like look at me i'm a good guy <laughs> You're like, oh, exactly. and that's why sometimes i have like <laughs> that's why there's a whole movement of like abolishing the police or defunding the military as well because i'm like the the u.s tells this whole propaganda of like you're fighting for for freedom i'm like freedom for who yeah freedom for who because i'm like you're you're um recruiting a lot of BIPOC people a lot of students who can't pay for their let's say tuition for college mm -hmm. you're recruiting them and then saying that they're fighting for the land of the free i'm like to, so they can go to college for free <laughs> Exactly. And on top of that, this this land was stolen as well. So I'm just like, I don't know what land you're fighting about. Yeah. And then on top of that, how this is the most ironic thing I'll ever see in this world is how can war how can you fight war to achieve peace? Yeah. You're you're using a violent method to to produce a nonviolent method. Yeah. It's not adding up. Not adding up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Up. The math isn't mathing. Uh, <laughs> but that's that's a, yeah, that's exactly kind of like I've been reading about this a lot. And I think there's some legs to this. Uh, there's a lot of articles out there about how globally everybody should be able to vote on American elections <clears throat> because U.S. elections doesn't just affect U.S. citizens. America is a global superpower with military bases in almost mm -hmm. every single country, businesses in every single country, right? So the entire world should vote on who the hell is running this giant beast. Because I don't think this giant beast who has tapeworms, the only ones voting are the fucking tapeworms on what it should eat. I think I think I think the other thing should be able to talk mm -hmm. about. You know what I mean? Like like it's 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 sickening. So I think I think the globe the world should be able to vote on American elections. No, that's fair. That's fair. I didn't even think about it that way. Um <laughs> and I remember what is it? Uh it's a classmate of mine, uh she did like a, a documentary on this. But she she stated in our class when she was doing her research that I think it was like over 700 and something military bases around the world. Yeah. And only like over 100 of them are active. And I was like, 100? So they have <laughs> like, all these bases just in case? Yeah, all these bases are just in case. And they're leaving a lot of environmental damage. <laughs> People don't tend to think about all those things that are happening in terms of like, you know, testing weaponry or firearms, whatever it is, or like nuclear bombs. Or, or even like, even going back to the immigration, even a lot of the immigration systems, uh, these technologies are used in third world countries by Americans who trained. So this is how America like, likes to like keep its finger, like, you know, stay in the back of the shadows. Like America trains Guatemala, El Salvador, Nicaraguan immigration forces. They set mm -hmm. up these militarized zones with these new weapons that then when they realize, oh, these weapons work pretty well, let's use them on our borders. Now we we can use them now that we've let these other governments use them so we can see how they work. Like, that's mm -hmm. sickening. Yeah. Yeah. And it's always been like that. Yeah. It's always been like that. Um, if you look at, like, for example, the military dictatorships, 
that they yeah. funded in, in Latin America. Yeah, all all of them. I'm just like, y'all are trash. Keep people y'all are trash. I know men are trash, but y'all are trash. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, this is messed up. And that's why our country, our, our countries are dealing with all of these issues to this day. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah. And we should be able, I think, yeah, I think we should be able, because especially like somebody who grew up on, I mean, you're DACA, I'm on document, uh, you know, green card right now, but we can't vote. We can't mm-hmm. vote. And we've been in this country like, like, you know how frustrating it was watching the 20, 2020 election and just being like, all right, man, whoever these fucking psychos vote for, because I don't have a say in the matter, you know, and, and my girlfriend's <clears> like, <throat> my girlfriend voted for Biden, but uh, every single white person in her family, I was harassing them because they were Trump supporters. I don't talk to them anymore, but I was trying to like get them to vote for Biden. And she's like, you know, you're really pushing people. Like, you, sh- you need to let everybody make their own choice. I'm like, uh, no, I can't make a choice. So I'm going to get every <laughs> single white person I can to change their choice. Okay. If, if I can't make one vote, I'm going to try and change at least 20 people's minds, 20 white people's minds, because that's at least a change I can count in. Uh, mm-hmm. But I probably should have just gone a flyer and stuff. But I thought it was a lot more productive. <laughs> I thought it was a lot more productive to just change white people's mind one by one. You know what I mean? Just just do that. I just thought it was a lot more. Making a difference yeah, one person at a time, we you know, because, you know, as the saying goes, you make a difference in one person and then that person will make a difference in another like 10 people. And yeah. then those 10 people will make a difference with 100 people. But you really so, got to speak up and like and tell people to their face, like, yo, your ideas are dumb as fuck. And not even be ashamed yeah. of that. You listen to Joe Rogan, something's wrong with you. You need Jesus. Uh, you should be listening <laughs> to my undocumented ass podcast on Spotify. Uh, that's that's the one you should be listening to. Where are we at, Jesse? On time? Uh, forty minutes. Forty minutes. Cool. Uh, before we do about forty-five. Before mm-hmm. we get out of here, I wanted to ask you, like, um, what, what what's your education and like, what are you planning to do and stuff like that? Where where, where are you at with the, the future? life question? Hmm? The life question. The life question. The life what's, question. <laughs> where, where's the future? Um. So let's see. So I ended up getting a scholarship, a full ride, thankfully, to a private university called Lafayette College in Eastern Pennsylvania. Um, So what's it called right now? I'm double majoring in film and uh, anthropology and sociology. Wow. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So so we're making strides. Thankfully, I only have two more classes left to graduate. So I'm just like, you know what? Let me take Clap. it easy on myself. Oh, he didn't know that. What happened? <laughs> <laughs> I've had a lot of, you know, evaluation of my mental health this past semester. I'm like, you know what? I'll take it easy. I'll yeah. take it easy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, those are those have always been my two passions of like finding out more about my communities, how society works, along with you know what filmmaking has to offer as well. That has always also like been an inspiration from my oldest brother Jose as well. Yeah. Um and so he really introduced me to that world. Meanwhile, like with activism, he was also introducing me to that world. But I've seen my parents, you know, try to support their own communities in yeah. their own ways as well. And so I just wanted to incorporate those two platforms together. Um, where was I going with this? With my future, I guess we'll see wherever life takes me. Yeah, <laughs> we'll see. So. No, you know what? Let me rephrase. Wherever the government allows me to be. <laughs> <laughs> but in general, uh, <laughs> Um, I actually just want to say where life takes me. Where the government lets me go, I should say. <laughs> that's perfect. Oh my god, that's so perfect. I wanted to say something, but I feel like we should just leave it on there, right? That was so funny. Uh, Flo, thank you so much. Is there anything before we get out of here you want to tell people on your social media or anything that they can find you on? Um. Yeah. Hold on. What is my social media? Okay. So <laughs> on TikTok, it's just Flor Selena. Um, because my dad also named me Selena as well. 
um because oh. he's a big Selena Quintanilla fan <laughs> so so that's me and then I guess also on Instagram it's just at floor underscore Selena as well All yeah right. well hey thank you so much for being on the show today thank you for telling me uh, about your life and good luck with school, film, activism, all that. And, and seriously, I appreciate it. Uh, I'm going to say bye, but don't hang up. I want to take a picture of like, Jesse's going to take a picture on, on my phone of us and stuff like that. But but thank you so much for being on the show and, uh, and we'll stay in touch, all right? This has been a Drop Tent Media Production.